When I started uh, pastoring in 1976, I knew a couple of things. One of them was is I didn't know very much. And so I connected with two other pastors and met with them almost weekly for mentoring and training from them. And uh, one of them was always giving me books to read and then ask for a report. He expected quite a few pages every week as I met with him. And one of them was the book called The Training of the Twelve. And uh, it was a complicated, deep uh, book that wasn't easy to read. But in the process, I came to the conclusion that what Jesus did, I should be doing. And uh, another pastor that I met with up in Portland, I met with him about once a month, he said, now you drive up here to talk to me. He said, you should be teaching this to someone else or you're going to lose it. And, uh, and so I thought, okay, I can do that. And so I started the leadership class. And I started out with guys only. And then a couple of years ago, started teaching ladies as well. And the leadership class basically is a discipleship program uh, that over the years I've written and developed and trying to think of what Jesus taught his disciples and doing the same and so I, it's the highlight of my ministry. It's the thing I enjoy most. I've got the most sense of uh, just personal reward from, a sense of multiplying myself from. It's just the, I, uh, I could die today and be a happy camper uh, on the basis of the leadership class and uh, what's, what they're doing, the ones that have gone through it over the years. So it's a really good program. So we've got three people that uh, have gone through it this year that are going to share tonight. And... Um, Two good-looking guys and a beautiful lady, and she's quite a bit more intelligent than the guys, but that's the normal thing with ladies, so we're going to put her right in the middle uh, to kind of show her off. So anyway, Clinton, you're going to go first. I'm going to pray, and then you can come up. Father, thank you for tonight. I pray that you will just bless each of these individuals that have just spent hours studying this year for the, in the class, and uh, they've grown so much, and they've put into practice so many disciplines. Uh, bless them tonight. Bless us as you as they share how you've worked in their life. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is Clinton Cox. I was in Dee's Leadership One class this year. I'm going to speak tonight about bitterness. What kind of drink can be bittersweet? Reality. According to Webster's 1828 dictionary, the definition of bitterness is, in a figurative sense, extreme enmity, grudge, hatred, or rather an excessive degree or implacableness of passions and emotions, as the bitterness of anger. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Over the years, I've been bitter about numerous things, from employees to in-laws and many things in between. One of my biggest struggles with bitterness was with my dad. To say that my dad had been around while I was growing up would be a huge understatement. My mom and dad divorced when I was about five years old. My dad lived in Green River, Wyoming and was a union laborer and was busy traveling around the country chasing the big jobs. During my junior year of high school, he moved to Camas, Washington, and I started to see him again. The fall after I graduated high school, I found a job working nights as a machinist in Vancouver, Washington, and I decided I'd try living with him. While I wanted nothing more than a relationship with him and his approval, 
I was resentful, angry, but most of all bitter. After about a year of living with him, my bitterness was consuming me, and I decided to confront him. This resulted in an argument that was full of yelling and nearly ended in a fist fight. I left that day feeling more resentful, angry, and bitter. We did not speak for nearly a year, but during that year I reflected on that argument and years of disappointment many times. And somewhere in the midst of all that, I decided to let it go. At that time in my life, I didn't know the word for that was forgiveness. I had made peace with everything in my mind and forgave him. I decided to go talk with him again, and we'd had a much better conversation, the start of a better relationship. I told him that I had joined the Air Force and would be leaving for basic training in a couple of months. We had reconciled our relationship, and I lived with him until I left for basic training at Lackland Air Force Base in Texas. In 1995, my dad had surgery to remove a brain tumor the size of a baseball. Though he recovered, he would never be the same mentally or physically. Due to his failing health, I moved him from Green River, Wyoming, out here to Staten, where my wife and I took care of him until he died in March of 2016. If I had not let go of my bitterness and forgave him so many years prior, I don't think that I could have managed to be there during all of his health issues to take care of him until he died. God expects that because he has forgiven us, that we will forgive others. Colossians 3.12-13 says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. If we do not forgive others, God will not forgive us. Matthew 6, 14 through 15 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Mark eleven twenty five says, Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Romans 12:18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Well, how do we do this? The passage says, as far as it depends on you. That means that we must forgive. The key to forgiving others is to commit to loving them. 1 Corinthians 14, 4-6 says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 5.2 says, And walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If God does not forgive us our sins, he won't answer our prayers, and we will experience the full consequences of our sin. Galatians 6-7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Hebrews 10-30-31 says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
If God does not forgive us our sin, we will feel guilty, depressed, and sad. Psalms 38, 2-10 says, For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has, become, has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult in my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. Psalms 38, 17 through 18 says, For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity, I am sorry for my sin. If God does not forgive us our sins, we will have a major energy loss and will be totally unmotivated. Psalm 31.10 says, For my life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. Psalms 32.4 says, for, the, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. If God does not forgive us our sin, the devil and his demons will have free and easy access to our lives. Pastor D explained it like this. You have an eight-foot-tall security fence all around you with razor wire. That fence keeps the demon, the devil and the, his demons out. But if we do not forgive others and confess our sins to God and ask for forgiveness, it's like having the gate wide open for the devil and his demons to come in and attack us. Matthew 18, 34-35 says, And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers, until he should repay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If God does not forgive us our sin, we will experience the full consequences of our sin at the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The key to forgiving others is to commit to loving them. We will have no influence in the life of the person that we do not forgive. The time to forgive is immediately. Don't think or say it's okay, because it probably isn't. Instead, think or say, I forgive. You might have to forgive the same person for the same offense 499 days in a row. Being quick to forgive is a habit that is learned by practicing. I'd like to close with a couple of quotes from Billy Graham and Max Licato. Billy Graham said, Bitterness is anger gone sour, an attitude of deep discontent that poisons our souls and destroys our peace. Max Licato said a couple things as well. One was, bitterness is its own poison. And two, I choose love. No occasion justifies hatred. No injustice warrants bitterness. I choose love. Today I will love God and what God loves. Thank you.
Hello, I'm Lisa Stutzman, and I was in Pastor D's um, Sunday morning um, leadership class for women. And I'm going to talk about um, first memorization. When I was growing up in a little Baptist church on the East Coast, I fondly, fondly remember how I was constantly memorizing Bible verses. There were contests, and my teachers would praise us when we would recite memorized verses, and I would also receive prizes for memorizing those verses. We could also earn our way to summer camp through performing certain tasks, one of which was memorizing passages of scripture. I would then go to summer camp with my church, and there too we would have contests that included reciting verses. The speakers there and our counselors would encourage us to hide God's word in our hearts there at camp, and then to continue the practice when we went home. They even provided us with a daily quiet time while we were there, where we were encouraged to work on memorizing verses while you rested on your bunk. All of this was all very motivating to me, and I found it easy to do. So I memorized lots of scripture. And then I grew up, and life became really busy. I went off to college, I married my husband, and then we had a half dozen children in about 10 years. And unfortunately, scripture memory was tossed aside. Oh, I knew I still needed to do it. Sometimes I would even begin to memorize scripture, but then I would quickly lose my motivation and let other things get in the way. I also found it much more difficult to memorize verses. So I just thought that maybe it was more difficult because I was getting old. Basically, I had many excuses that kept me from memorizing verses. So this past fall, I signed up for Pastor D's leadership class, and I soon found out that I was expected to memorize verses every week. He made it clear there weren't any valid excuses for not committing the assigned verses to memory. And in addition, we were expected to recite our verses every week in front of everyone on Sunday mornings. Yikes. That alone was motivating for me. I didn't want to be the only one not knowing the verses. So I began to work on making new habits that would help me memorize scripture again. I'll be honest. First, it was difficult. But Pastor D was kind. He encouraged us and gave us tips along the way. So I copied verses on index cards, and I put them in my purse, on top of my radio and my truck. I recorded the verses and played them quietly at, at night right on my bedside and on long car rides. I downloaded the Bible Memory app and worked on my verses a little at a time while I was waiting at appointments for kids at sports and the evenings after dinner. Instead of wasting my downtime checking social media or watching a movie, I found myself working on memorizing scripture. I would hand cards to member, members of my family and recite the verses to them. I would copy the verses in my journal, highlight them in my Bible until I was finally satisfied that I knew it well enough to recite them to a room full of ladies. Then something amazing started to happen. I started to remember the verses. Yes, I could recite them during class on Sunday mornings, but it was more than that. The Holy Spirit would frequently bring them to memory. For instance, I used to wake up in the night and maybe review or even obsess over the day, or maybe something someone had said. But now, now I was constantly feeding my brain scripture, so that's what my brain would recall during the night. Waking up in the night was now useful, so I could review my verses. Situations would also arise, and I knew what God's word said about it because I had memorized it. I would find myself thinking or sometimes saying to my children or a friend something like, well, you know what the Bible says in Ezekiel 22:30, and then I can actually tell them what that verse said. As I continued committing verses to memory, I began to view the world differently as the Bible verses helped me replace wrong thinking. 
Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and quick to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. It is the sword of the spirit. When I put God's word in my mind, the Holy Spirit can use it to help me at any time I need it. What a wonderful weapon to use against the enemy's schemes. I learned that memorizing Bible verses is one of the most effective ways to conquer tough sin habits in my life. I made a goal this year to stop getting irritated and angry with people, especially my family. I'm memorizing scripture to help me achieve this goal. Now, I still have a lot of work to do on this goal, but I can say it is helping and an encouragement to know that God, what God has to say about managing my reactions with people as I interact with the people around me every day. My most favorite benefit of memorizing verses that I have found is a powerful impact on our minds and therefore our ability to remember. The mind is a muscle and it will grow if we exercise it on a regular basis. It has been delightful to realize that my memory has been improving greatly as I have filled it with scripture. I used to be very forgetful and I would just blame it on the busyness of being a homeschool mom of six. But now that memorizing scripture has become a regular thing for me, I am remembering things without even writing them on my calendar. I also started remembering consequences, chores, and assignments given out to my children where I once would forget. Now, of course, they never reminded me. And I have to say that I enjoy their looks of surprise as I now remember and then remind them of those assignments, chores, and consequences. I have learned that there are many other benefits of memorizing scripture. It honors God. It tells them that we love him. Memorized Bible verses is what the Holy Spirit uses to convict us of sin, to lead us into God's perfect will for our lives. The Holy Spirit can also motivate us to great accomplishment and give us great wisdom through memorized verses. Psalm 1, 2-3 tells us that when you delight in God's word and meditate on it day and night, that it will bless us with success in whatever we do. I can take his word to bed with me at night and really anywhere I go because it is in me. Another great benefit of memorizing scripture is that it increases our power in prayer and who doesn't need that? I have really enjoyed learning to memorize scripture throughout the months that I was in Pastor D's leadership class. The Bible memory app is now loaded on my phone and I find it fun to type my verses and get points for memorizing verses and passages wherever I'm at. It's also a great method to review verses I have already memorized. I've also found it delightful to recite my verses to my children because it encourages them to memorize scripture as well. So now that I'm aware of all the many benefits of memorizing scripture, I intend on memorizing scripture the rest of my life. I have also made some great habits, and I plan on keeping those habits this time. I have even made a goal to memorize my first book of the Bible this year, the book of Philippians. I also have a plan to memorize other verses that will help me accomplish my goals. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Jared Melskow, and I am 16 years old and will be a junior in high school this fall. I go to Sandy M. Christian High School in Adair Village, where I participate in football, wrestling, and baseball. I live in a family of seven people on a farm here in Jefferson and have cows and pigs that I show at the fair in summer. I have been a Christian and gone to church for as long as I can remember. My family and I started going to JBC last July, almost a year ago now, and when my dad and brother, you might have heard speak last week, and me, when the three of us heard about the leadership class that Pastor D teaches, we decided to take it. 
Throughout the class, I learned many life lessons and heard a lot of teaching that I have no doubt will affect me for the rest of my life. One of the main lessons that has already had a profound effect on my life, and I'm sure will continue to have an effect, was the lesson on the basic disciplines of the Christian life. But first, a little background on myself and why that particular lesson had such an effect. I was born at the Salem Hospital here in Oregon, and I've lived in the same house here in Jefferson for all of my 16 years of life. There is not a time that I can remember when I didn't go to church. As a matter of fact, some of my earliest memories are of church. When I was still a little kid, many of my best friends were from my Sunday school class. I was homeschooled at this time. My mom would teach me from the Bible every day as a preschooler and kindergartner. On Wednesday mornings, my mom would go to a, Bible, a women's Bible study class at our church, and I would tag along and go to the child care room where we taught more about the Bible. I had and still have several children's Bibles with many pictures and varying levels of reading difficulties that I received as I became a better reader. I also remember doing daily devotionals with my dad and other stuff like that. I was even baptized at our old church when I was seven years old because I had accepted Jesus as my Savior. As you can see, through my earliest years, I was raised as a Christian. My first experience with real school came in first grade when I attended Albany Christian Schools and my mom taught my class. It was a Christian school, so I was again taught the Bible every single day. After first grade, I was homeschooled again until fourth grade when I started going to San Diego Christian, where I am now. Throughout this story of my life so far, you should begin to see a pattern. I was taught the Bible all the time. This pattern continued and is still happening today as I go to San Diego and have Bible class every other day. I also attend church. I went to men's breakfast this morning. I took leadership class, and so the routine continues. Now, before I go any further, I want to give a little disclaimer of sorts. This constant teaching of God, the Bible, and Christian principles was in no way a bad thing of any kind. I learned and continue to learn an incredible amount of knowledge from many awesome teachers, parents, coaches, pastors, and other great mentors in my life. All these things I've learned through the years have done a great deal to build my character and have shaped me and are still shaping me into the young man I am today. I am and will always will be thankful to all those people for all the stuff they did for me. As a result of this instruction I received from a very young age, even though it was hugely beneficial to me, it presented problems with my relationship with Christ. I had grown up reading my Bible on my own sometimes and praying sometimes, but I didn't read or pray because I was choosing to be in a relationship with God, or even because I had a desire to grow in my faith. I didn't go to church or attend youth group because I wanted to become a stronger Christian or even be a better friend. I simply went because it was the right thing to do, and it was, my fam it was what, my family what my family did. I always had done this, and so I figured I always would, because that's what Christians did, and I was a Christian. I had no true personal relationship with Jesus, and really didn't know how to get one, nor did I even know that I didn't have one. One Bible, pas one Bible passage that I ponder when I think about this is Revelation 3, verse 15 and 16. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now that doesn't sound very pleasant. After all, who wants to get spit out? I now realize that I was a lukewarm Christian without an aim or goal and without even a legitimate relationship with God. I was not, as they say, on fire for Jesus. I was lukewarm. So it wasn't until I was about 14 years old in an eighth-ish grade that I kind of noticed this and realized what was happening. And over the course of a few months, I began to see what a personal relationship with Jesus looked like, and I realized I wanted one. However, I didn't really understand how to get one. Throughout my eighth grade year and then in my freshman year, I began to want more and more to have a relationship with God and to be on fire, alive for Christ. But instead, I felt as though I had this piece of the puzzle that was missing. I was a Christian, but I wasn't growing. I was like a tree without water, unable to bear fruit. But 
when I started taking leadership class, that began to change. The second memory verse that we had was Psalms 1, verses 2 and 3. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like something I definitely want. I'll read it again. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. This is where the basic disciplines come in. We can get those awesome blessings through the, first of the faith, through the first of the basic disciplines, constant meditation on the word of God, or, in other words, Bible reading and scripture memorization. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. If something is repeated multiple times in the Bible, it is a clear sign of its importance. These are just two of many, many examples where the Bible talks about all the blessings that come from studying God's word. So again, we get to prosper and be successful. The only catch is that we must read the the Bible, as Pastor D likes to say, every day, every day, every day, every day. The most effective way to read the Bible consistently is to make a goal, have a Bible reading plan, do it every day, and have someone hold you accountable. Bible reading is one of the most important and influential methods of growing as a Christian. The next method that I will talk about is prayer. Prayer can be a very simple topic or a very complex topic, depending on how much detail you go into. I'll keep it simple so it's easy to remember and so we're not here all day. There is one basic law of prayer that is extremely straightforward, but also very necessary to understand. Galatians 6, 7 says the following, Do not be deceived. God is not not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. What does this mean? This means that what you put into something is what you get out of it. If you plant a lot of seeds, you'll get a lot of harvest. In other words, much prayer equals much blessing. Little prayer, little, little blessing, and no prayer, no blessing. The discipline of prayer can have a huge impact on your relationship with God because, because it is your primary means of communication with him. It's how you talk to him. Think about it this way. If you talk to someone a lot, you know them well. If you talk to them a little, you kind of know them. And if you don't talk to them at all, you don't know them at all. This is the same way with knowing God. Prayer is a second discipline that helps me to grow in my relationship with God. The the third and final one that I'll talk about is the discipline of self-examination and confession of sin, which is actually very closely tied to prayer. I'll use an illustration for this one. I'm a wrestler, so if my coach teaches me a new move, I try as hard as I can to learn it, but the odds are against me getting it right on the first try. When I try it and inevitably mess mess up some part of it sometime, The very first thing I must do before I can get any better at the move is to realize that I did it wrong. Otherwise, I'll just keep doing it wrong. In the same way, as Christians, before we can fix any part of our life, we need to examine it and confess any sin in that area of our life so that we can fix it. In addition to being a powerful tool for improvement in our Christian walk, it is also very important that we make a habit of confessing our sin because our sins have significant negative consequences if not confessed to God. The good news is, that 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In conclusion, Bible reading, prayer, and confession of sin have been some of the most powerful tools for spiritual change in my own life. They have helped me immensely to build a strong personal relationship with my Savior, Jesus Christ, and to not be a lukewarm Christian who's just going through the motions. 
I only talked about three of the seven disciplines, but together they all are Bible reading, prayer, gathering, worship, giving, seeking wisdom, and self-examination and confession of sin. If you do want to know more about any or all of these, then I would highly, highly recommend that you talk to Pastor D about taking leadership class next year. It is a fantastic class where you'll learn a huge amount of wisdom from Pastor D. That is all I have for you. Thank you for listening. My name is Kevin Robke. I am excited to be up here speaking to you today about the men's leadership class by Pastor D, which has proved my aspect, the aspect of my life, both personally and spiritually. Myself and my wife, Jillian, who you will hear from today as well, along with our two daughters, came back to JBC as regular attenders last year after about a year away. We've been very happy with our decision to do so. Before I get into talking about the class, I want to give a little background on my life to give perspective about what I'm going to talk about. Um, I, I'll try not to put too many of you to sleep in the process, but I have been a believer in the Christian faith, but I grew up in a family that did not attend church. My parents are believers and would make comments to that effect occasionally, but religion was not a major topic in our home. There was never a driving factor in my life pushing me to learn more about the Christian life. I would occasionally attend church with friends, which would interest me enough to read the Bible for a few days before I went back in the drawer to collect dust. After I began my, or as I began my adult life, I, I was certainly not living for Christ, but for myself. I was not putting anything in God's hands or asking for his guidance on anything. I had the mindset that I could do things on my own as I pursued a career in law enforcement. I ran into many roadblocks, and it took me years to break into the profession full-time. <clears throat> However, in 2007, after many years as a cadet and a reserve police officer, I was very proud of myself when I was hired full-time. Uh, nevertheless, I only thanked myself, and I gave all the credit to myself for my success. Did I work hard to get there? Absolutely. But not once did I stop to thank God for getting me where I was. If I did pray, it was usually for selfish reasons. Rarely did I pray for someone that I knew was sick or suffering. My thought was, I'm sure someone else is praying for them. I would also give the obligatory, you were in my thoughts and prayers bit. Although I did think of them in their situation, I would often fail to actually pray for them. I had no drive to begin a <clears throat> faith-based life, and frankly, I had no one around to push me in that direction either. In 2008, that changed when I met my future wife, Jillian. We would speak about faith from time to time, and she would bring up the fact that we needed to start attending church. When she first brought this up, I gave obligatory, uh-huh, and moved on. Um, however, fortunately for, for me, my wife is persistent, and women do seem to be good at this trait, as uh, she continued to push the idea of attending church. In 2009, we began attending church regularly at one of the churches in our home community. Both Jill and I were baptized in 2012 at this church. We attended this church for about six years and really enjoyed the people. However, besides the occasional helping with VBS, the Easter egg hunt, or maybe with Wednesday services for kids, um, I found myself just going through the motions uh, of attending church and going home and going right back to life as usual. There was rarely anything done at home to approve upon my faith. I would go to church, sing, listen to the sermon, and I'd be done until next Sunday. Shortly before the pastor of this church retired, we decided to begin trying other churches. 
We eventually tried JBC at the recommendation of Jill's family, and we really liked it and became regular attenders. But again, I found myself mostly just going through the motions of attending, singing, listening to the sermon, then being done till the following Sunday. I do admit I was praying more for others, and I did read my Bible from time to time, but it was nowhere near enough, and I just did not seem to be growing spiritually. Then last year, Jill decided she was going to go through the women's discipleship class with Pastor D. She told me several times that I should take the men's leadership class. I was reluctant and kept telling her I would do it next year, being the procrastinator that I am. Then the Sunday after the first class had already taken place, I felt a change in my heart, almost a calling telling me that I needed to attend this class. I approached Pastor D and asked him if it was too late to attend, and thankfully he told me it was not. So I began attending the Saturday night class the following week. As I stand here now, after attending this class, I can truly say that my faith-based life has truly changed for the better. Sure, I still have a lot, to work, a lot of work to do, and still need to work hard to follow the seven disciplines of the Christian life regularly and consistently, but this class has given me the jump start needed to work towards that goal. The main thing I learned about my faith is that I was not growing because I was being lazy. With all that said, Pastor D offered each of us to come here to speak to you today about this class, and one of the topics that really hit home. For me, that class was the fear of the Lord. This class, I, I chose this class because looking back, I never really had that fear per se. I knew God and had accepted him as my Lord and Savior, but I did not have a full grasp of everything that entailed. Each of the classes I attended helped me grow my faith and improve my faith-based life at home after church. For me, realizing the fact that we should have the fear of the Lord not, to, not fear to be afraid of him, but fear of what can happen when we do not believe in him, live a sinful life, or refuse to do the things that, that he has called us to do. This has helped me to, to set proper goals, to read my Bible more faithfully, and to study the word. I'm still working on the everyday part, but it is getting better. I have also learned more about what it truly means to be a Christian. Things like putting others before yourself, being humble, seeking wisdom from others, the importance of prayer, and so much more. Pastor D gave us a definition for fear of the Lord. It is, fear of the Lord is knowing that he sees everything that you do, hears everything you say, and knows everything that you think. God rewards good behavior and disciplines bad behavior. Just this definition should cause you to have a sense of fear knowing that God is omnipresent and always with you. This should motivate us to do things in our lives that are right, good, and pleasing to God. However, there will always be those evil voices in your head tempting you to do the opposite. I stand here and tell you I hear, I hear those voices too. The question is, what is your reaction when those thoughts come into your mind? I, for one, can tell you that I used to give in to that voice on far too many occasions. With that said, I take comfort in reading verses such as Isaiah 55, 7, and 8, which says, Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For thoughts are not my thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. I am now seeking this pardon every day of my life. I am also now doing the best to live by one of the memory verses from the leadership class. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your, sin, or down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. This verse encourages me to speak to the Lord every night, confess my sin, and give it to him. For if we do not confess our sin, then we are giving the devil a foothold in our lives. When we do sin, as God knows we most certainly will, 
the onus be on us to confess this to our Father in heaven. 1 John 1.8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Part of having that fear of the Lord is understanding that God disciplines us when we do wrong, just as a father would discipline a child. Think back in your childhood. What would happen if you would do wrong or lie and deceive your father? I am most certain you would face a punishment. Your father did not punish you because he enjoyed it. He punished you because he loves you. This is no different with God. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11 says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of the spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, and they thought, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our own good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So yes, God may discipline us for our transgressions, but he does it out of love and with hope that the discipline inspires change that will push us toward his goal and desire for us, which is to be like him in character. The key to help God reach this goal is for us to respond correctly when disciplined. When your father disciplined you, did it change the behavior? I certainly know for me it did. I remember seeing the disappointment in my father's eyes when I did something that I knew I should not do. Imagine the disappointment in God's eyes when we sin. There are ways to erase that look of disappointment. The biggest one is changing your behavior and regaining the Father's confidence in you. If we do not do this, there are consequences, for God punishes bad behavior and rewards good behavior. Repeated sin can result in loss of joy and happiness and your ability to grow spiritually and bear fruit. These consequences can also trickle down to our children. Just like anything else, your children watch you, they study you, and they want to be like you. When you sin, they too will follow. Be an example that will help your children be the God-fearing person that you would like to be. Going off topic for just a brief second, um, Pastor D talked to us a lot about setting goals. This is something I will continue to work on as well, and this class has indeed helped me to set goals. The hard part's accomplishing them. With that said, I do know now a long-term goal of mine is that when my day does come and the Lord calls me home, uh, my goal is to hear those powerful words from Matthew twenty-five twenty-one: well done, good and faithful servant. Truly, I have no right to be up here preaching to you all about sin, but I can tell you that what I've learned in Dee's leadership class has given me that sense of fear. I am now fearful of what I could, what I could do to myself spiritually if I continue down a road of sin. I encourage you all to develop a healthy fear of God and use that fear to shun the voices of the devil when he comes calling. Find and memorize Bible verses that will help you to avoid those sins that are most tempting to you, and most importantly, pray to God for strength to turn away from sin. Proverbs 14.27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn away from the snares of death. Let us all drink from this fountain of life. In closing... Obviously, this class goes over so much more than all of these sermonettes can ever cover. 
I join all the others that have spoken before me, and I'm sure those that are to follow me as well, and encourage you to attend this class. I was reluctant to attend, but now I'm very grateful that I did. If you go into this class with determination and a positive attitude, it does have the potential to change your life. I want to thank Dee for his com commitment to teaching this class, his wisdom and guidance, and his funny stories that kept us all going every week. We are all grateful for the work that you do. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. Bad idea to follow your husband, so I apologize for the tears in my eyes. Good morning. My name is Jillian Ropke, and I'm happy to be here sharing with you this morning. I've been married to my wonderful husband, Kevin, for 13 years this fall, and together we have two beautiful little girls. We first started attending JBC in 2015, and with about a year break, we returned last summer. I would like to talk to you this morning about pride. The dictionary defines it. A feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements, the achievements of those with whom one is closely associated, or from qualities or possessions that are widely admired. The Bible defines it this way. The sin of pride is an excessive preoccupation with self's one own importance, achievements, status, or possessions. This sin is considered rebellion against God because it attributes to one's self the honor and glory that God, only God is due. Pride is a deadly sin, in my opinion. As we go on in this life with the desire to be admired because of status, it can become a tangled web. It sadly many times is a band-aid for self-worth or lack of. A false sense of, I can do it all myself. I have it all figured out. I can handle it. Many of us can probably agree just how many times we have said things such as these statements. Pride is a sin that society, pardon me, society has blown up in past years. Values have went out the window, and the self-help, keeping up with the Joneses mindset has made its way in. When pride enters, joy leaves. Let's talk about that, this swap of joy and pride in my experience. I would like to first share with you the chorus of the newest Matthew West song titled Truth Be Told. I'll spare you my voice and read it to you. I say I'm fine, yeah, I'm fine, oh, I'm fine, hey, I'm fine, but I'm not, I'm broken. And when it's out of control, I say it's under control, but it's not, and you know it. I don't know why it's so hard to admit it, when being honest is the only way to fix it. There's no failure, no fall, there's no sin you don't already know, so let the truth be told. This is exactly what I would have said to you one year ago, I'm fine, really, I'm fine. However, because of this class, I can stand here and say I was very broken and full of pride. For years, I have lived with this idea that being broken equaled being weak, and I couldn't say those words and be a good Christian, or could I? Of course I could. And truly, I was only fooling myself. He knew, and he is all that matters. I have parts of my past that have haunted me, and because of that, I believe that I needed to be perfect. I needed to make up for it. I never could succeed at even being good, let alone perfect. Reading my Bible, praying, being vulnerable, or seeking wisdom, just to name a few. I tiptoed around all of it and never practiced any of it faithfully. For so long, I tried to find that rule section in my Bible that fed exactly to me how I needed to live. Do this and not this. 
If you are looking for it also, let me save you. You can't find it on your own. And it's even bigger than that. Your faith and your beliefs need to be in the right place to even accept it in a community setting. You have to be ready to accept reproof and take it as a gift and not as an insult. You have to be ready for a powerhouse of emotions and growth. By taking Pastor D's leadership class, I was challenged in ways I never thought possible. It is so much more than that one hour on Sunday mornings. Through this eight-month class, I have seen God's grace. I have seen his very own handiwork um, of weaving forgiveness, spiritual growth, and the desire to be who he created me to be on a multitude of levels. Psalms 139, pardon me, is a verse that God placed everywhere in front of me starting back in February of 2020. I can praise God for who I was and who I am and who I will be. In Psalms 139, Verse 14 says, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderful made. wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. God always has a plan. And Psalms 139 being placed in front of me makes so much more sense now. It was part of his plan for me. Pay attention for his plans for your life. And live for him and no one else. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Philippians 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. And Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Verses like these will fill you with hope. They will light a fire in those empty spaces between the pit of your heart that deep down knows just how broken you are and that deep desire to faithfully serve our Savior. As I close, I cannot and will not stand here and say I am finally that perfect Christian I have always strived to be. But what I can say is that in October, even in February, when I walked into that discipleship building, I was so lost. But with the wisdom shared, the accountability that was offered, and the growth that I have felt in every aspect of my life, all of this has shown me that I am redeemed. I have a Savior who showed up 2,000 years ago, one year ago, and every day that I ask for his strengths. And by his wounds, I am healed, forgiven, and loved. And by my own wounds, I can now see where they have drawn me closer to him and not made me farther away. My wounds are part of my story, but they no longer own me. Make a goal to attend Pastor D's class. It will be the single best thing you do for yourself, your family, and your relationship and fellowship with God. Oh, and don't be late. Don't have your blinders on and truly give the transformation to God. He will show up. All the glory to God. And thank you so much, Pastor D, for your faithfulness, your stories, and your encouragement. Thank you. Good morning, JBC family. I love you. I love you. <laughs> I'm humbled to be given an opportunity to come up here and to be able to say that to each of you. This place and all of you have become my heart's desire, and I thank the Lord for his guiding me here. You are all part of my restoration and hope of story. My name is Lisa Taggart. My husband, Phil, and I have been attending Jefferson Baptist since the fall of 2020. That is also the time I signed up for Pastor D's women's leadership class. 
In March, Pastor D asked all of us in class if we'd give a 15-minute testimony as to how the class has impacted our lives. I'm excited to share with you my story and how this class and this church has truly transformed my life. When I began thinking about a title for this testimony, I came up with a few. Believer to Influencer was the first one, because that is what happens to you when you take this class. How to train to run the race of the Christian life was the next, because that is what you learn to do when you take this class. The ongoing process of sanctification was also considered, because that is what God is doing to you while you are taking this class. But I finally landed on the best description of this class, and I'm calling it D. Duke's School of Fishing. (laughs) Did you know that Pastor D. loves to go fishing? The Lord has been drawing me to Jefferson Baptist for the last 20 years. I'm 61 years old. I was 11 years old when God drew me to Jesus, and I asked him to be my Savior. I know Jesus saved me and justified me at that moment. Ever since, God has been gently leading me and sanctifying me, molding me to be like him in every way, not all at once, but in a long and carefully planned journey of obedience and faithfulness. I'm so glad God had a plan for my life. My husband, Phil, and I have been married for 39 years. We lived and worked in Eugene, and in 1989, we began our family. We have three amazing children, all walking with the Lord, with families of their own. It was important to us to teach our children about Jesus and to make him Lord of their lives, and for them to make him Lord of their lives. For the next 25 years, our lives were busy raising kids, volunteering at their schools, coaching their teams, teaching Sunday school, and caring for elderly parents. But behind the scenes of an ordinary life, God had a plan for an extraordinary life in him. On the drive to church during those years, on Sunday mornings, we would turn on the radio. Initially, it was to keep the kids from fighting and bugging one another along the way. We had about a 20-minute drive. Every Sunday, we would listen to this pastor from this small farming community in a town we had never been to called Jefferson. We found it to be God-inspiring and encouraging, practical teachings on just about everything in life, especially fishing. These moments in the car with our family, listening to the pastor on the radio, was God's divine plan to moving us to a deeper and more personal, purposeful relationship with him. In 2017, we moved to Corvallis, At that time, we came to Jefferson Baptist three times. I remember the first person we met when we walked in the sanctuary was Pastor Mike. He shook our hands and looked at us straight in the eye and said good morning. He was very welcoming and made us feel comfortable. I thought to myself, that guy is a really great greeter. (laughs) Later, I was pleasantly surprised when I found out Mike was one of the pastors here at JBC. The gentleness of a humble leader is always inspiring and contagious. The next folks we met were Gordon and Barbara Hilton. They were like meeting old friends. They made us feel special, welcome, and accepted. Everyone here made us feel welcome. It was like coming to a really big family in a really big home. 
with genuine worship to the love we have felt here from you all, all to the purposeful leadership and teaching we love JBC. Pastor D's welcome letter was inviting. We were noticed and wanted. The invitation was deeply felt. Fel and I prayed about it, and as much as we loved and felt this pull to Jefferson, we thought we should go to a local church in Corvallis where we could make some friends in our own community. I wrote an email to Pastor D and told him of our decision. He followed up with an encouraging and kind email supporting our decision. I'm so glad God had a plan because I didn't. I'm so think thankful that D. Duke is a good fisherman. So we went to a church in Corvallis that we attended while in college at OSU, and we made some friends and life went on. It was a good church. We then experienced a series of life-changing events in our family, some joyous and some challenging. The Lord continued to write my story of faith and transformation. The three most influ influential and encouraging sources for me at that time were the JBC website page, the ability, with the ability to listen to past sermons, Pastor D's blog, which I found on the website page and subscribed to and read every day, and in the morning at 6 a.m. on the radio, I listened to Pastor D's sermons during my drive to Newburgh to babysit our granddaughter. God was drawing me, and Pastor D's hook was quietly waiting for us in the water. Then one of the most memorable years began, 2020. Just saying 2020 brings a sense of dread and fear to most of our lives. At the beginning of COVID, we lived in fear and anxiety. When I think of it now, it was Satan's trap of bondage. As long as we live in this kingdom, Satan will continue to pursue us until Jesus raptures us or we die and step in eternity. The next events that came would usher in a change in my life that God used to transform me from a believer to an influencer for Christ. All the churches in Corvallis closed down. The city closed down. Everything closed down. We saw pretty much no one except strangers in the grocery store behind some smile-covering masks. We wiped down our mail with plastic gloves on our hands. We were glued to the news throughout the day. Between what seemed like everyone dying and the election going full speed, the world around us was literally burning and smoky and dark. We were caught up in the whirlwind of the world. We didn't have a plan. We were completely unprepared. The plans we relied on, which really weren't plans at all, consisted of crying out to God to take all this away and make things the way they were before. I was running aimlessly, fighting like a boxer beating the air, and I was treading water. The Lord had plans, and D. Duke kept fishing. I've heard he's a pretty good fisherman. I kept fishing around JBC's website and signed up for Pastor D's daily blog. At the end of spring of 2020, Pastor, Be Pastor D began to write in his blog about leadership. It was interesting to me and encouraging, but I read it like it was meant for others, as I didn't think of myself as being any kind of leader. But then he explained that leadership is really about being an influencer, an influencer for Christ. Now that stirred my soul. He went on to write that being a servant of Jesus is all about influencing people and changing things for the better, even if just a little bit. 
than more things like, if anything in life is important, make a goal to get better at it. A goal isn't a goal if it isn't written down. It's just wishful thinking. Every year, learn a new skill. Skills are like tools. The more you have, the more you can do. Every year, choose to do something you've never done before. Experience is the foundation of wisdom. Great leaders don't just set out to be a leader. They set out to make a difference. The true test of leadership is how well you function in a crisis. Good leaders inspire people to dream more, attempt more, and become more. Great leaders paint a picture of a better tomorrow with the power of vision and inspire others to help them accomplish it. Successful leaders know that they must first lead themselves successfully before they can lead others. Leaders are strong. They know that all great accomplishments take time, and they endure to the end. They never give up. Through Pastor D's blogs, the Lord was working on my heart. In September of 2020, I gave up. I gave up anxiety. I gave up fear. I gave up living in chaos. I gave up spinning in the whirlwind of this world. I gave up treading water. How and why, you wonder? We came back to the church that boldly and fearlessly stayed faithful to the Lord. The church that opened its doors in the midst of a pandemic. The church that listened to God's truth and not the lies of the world. The church that is unashamed and unafraid and stands on the truth of the Bible. The church that is known as the I Love You Church. The church that knows Jesus as Lord. We came back to great leadership, great influencers, people devoted to one another, a loving, forgiving family with great faithfulness. I signed up for Pastor D's women's leadership class and found a small group of other women looking for the same things, the chance to learn how to make the desires of our hearts into real plans for our lives. Proverbs 16.9 tells us, A person's heart plans his course, but Yahweh, our God, directs his steps. In this class, I have learned how to become an influencer for Jesus. I have learned how to take the desires God puts into my heart and make plans to make them a reality. I have learned about the tools and disciplines that enable me to not just tread water, but to compete in the race and finish well. I have learned how to walk with Jesus and sit quietly with him and allow him to go before me in my trials. Pastor D has taught me to make plans, not only for this life, but to choose plans that really matter, plans that have eternal consequences. I have learned how to live the Christian life with daily disciplines to follow, to make me more like Jesus with his leading to achieve transformational results. I have also learned what happens when your cows die, how to sow seeds and plant a harvest, stuff about cars and truck motors and farm pumps. Oh, and the most important thing, how to be a really good fisher of men and to encourage and influence others to follow Jesus and make him Lord of their life. So now I don't live in fear. I live boldly in faith. My eyes are on the kingdom and my heart is there too. I love coming to church. What before was a duty has now become a delight. I read my Bible every day. 
I pray every day. I'm volunteering at JBC. I'm involved in a weekly women's Bible study led by Jean Krause, who has become my friend and my mentor. I've developed lifelong friendships. I've become a better wife, mother, grandmother, and friend. I have been praying corporately for the first time in my life. I have goals for my life and a prayer of commitment I say to Jesus every day. I've memorized almost 50 Bible verses. I plan and think about standing before Jesus, and I'm living for him every day, every day, every day. I've chosen to compete in the race of life to eternity, and I long to hear Jesus say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. I have become an influencer for Christ. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, Paul tells us, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is what Pastor D's leadership class is all about. Taking that first step to compete in the believer's race of life. When you learn to go into strict training and do it, you will get the crown that will last forever, and along the way, your life becomes transformed. You will also learn how to be a really good fisher of men, to do what really matters in this world, living and sharing Jesus with people that God brings into your life. I'm thankful that God made D. Duke a really good fisher of men. Pastor D. is so obedient to Jesus and so persistent and prayerful. He caught me and reeled me in and taught me the things that really matter in life. Yes, one of the best things I've ever done is come to Jefferson Baptist Church and take D. Duke's School of Fishing. I pray and hope if you haven't yet, you will too. It's never too late. It's been 50 years since I gave my life to Jesus. I marvel at the places he has led me. I thank him for leading me here in this place that is the desire of my heart. I was really hoping Pastor D would take us all fishing for the final, but now I realize I've just gone fishing today at this moment here before all of you. I know there is someone like me sitting here listening and thinking about all of these testimonies and stories. I hope you will bite on the hook. It will change your life forever. Thank you for hearing my story, and thank you for being my church family. I really do love all of you. Grace to you, my friends. Hi, my name is David Webb, and my lovely wife, Hadassah, and I have three lovely daughters, Faith, Hope, and Joy. Our family moved to the Crabtree area from Salem about five years ago, and we started looking around for a good church. Once we visited JBC, we were welcomed and felt at home, and I soon heard about Pastor D's leadership class. But I also heard that it was a lot of work, and then the members had to give this speech at the end of the course. 
This speech definitely was not something that I wanted to do. My wife encouraged me to attend the leadership class, but I didn't really think I needed it and all the work that it sounded like it would be. But Hadassah was not deterred. She found a way to get me to go by attending Pastor D's first women's leadership class. She worked super hard and came home each week excited about what she had learned and how she was, um, would apply it to her life. <clears throat> it got me excited and I decided this was the year I was going to go for the class. But then the China virus hit. <clears throat> Everything was canceled and no one knew when it would start up again. It was a difficult time and the stress took a toll on our marriage. We started to get in a lot of fights and never seemed to agree on anything. The hardest part for me was that I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't change the quarantine laws or make my job start up again. And every time I tried to fix the marriage, it didn't seem to help. And it often made things worse. Now I can see that God was using the time to work on my heart and to prepare me to be more receptive to listening to him. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I had been leaning on my own understanding for a long time, and it took COVID for me to realize that I couldn't do it all on my own. Every time I tried to lead without God, it didn't turn out right. I was ready to seek wisdom from others and to be more teachable. I was ready for Pastor D's leadership class. When Pastor D asked us to give this talk, his only directions were to choose one of the lessons and to talk about how much it impacted us. That sounded easy enough, but as I looked over all the different topics we covered, they were all so good, I just couldn't come up with just one. So I chose a godly characteristic that runs through most of the lessons, which is discipline, also called self-control in the Bible. In every topic we covered in D's class, there was an aspect of discipline. You had to be disciplined to come to class each and every week. You had to be disciplined to read your Bible every day. You have to have discipline not just to read the Bible, but memorize verses. Oh, thank you. You have to have discipline not just to read the Bible, but memorize verses so that God can use his word to impact your heart and others when you share it with them. You have to be disciplined to study each week so you can remember the answers for the quiz. Yes, D does quit, give quizzes each week on last week's lesson. And you need discipline to read the leadership books that D gives us and to listen to leadership podcasts each week between classes. Galatians 5, to 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control is listed towards the last because I think it's one of the hardest. The fruit of the Spirit are a sign that Christ is in us. And if we don't have discipline or self-control in our lives, it is a sign that we are not allowing Christ to work in all parts of our life. The seven basic disciplines of the Christian life that I learned in Pastor D's leadership class our Bible reading, prayer, gathering, worship, giving, seeking wisdom, and self-examination. The greatest lack in Christians today is faithfully practicing these basic disciplines of the Christian life. But Christians who practice the basic disciplines will have a real good and growing relationship to Christ. They will have a growing power to gain victory over sin and accomplish great things in their life. All these, sounds, all these things sound great, but discipline is hard. It's getting up a little earlier than you would normally to read your Bible and pray. 
It is reading and rereading the same Bible verse until you have it memorized, then faithfully reviewing that verse so you won't forget it. It is looking for opportunity to serve others and to find a ministry in the church. So what is the secret of discipline? In the leadership class, we were taught the secret is not that self-denial brings joy. The secret lies in the reward, what we're willing to endure self-denial to get. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may receive the prize. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified for the prize. Growing Christians who bear the fruit of the Spirit don't live disciplined lives because they love to deny themselves. They live, they live disciplined lives because they want the pleasures of the prize. Paul believed these pleasures of the wreath are superior pleasures to the pleasure of self-indulgence. Paul states that the pursuit of a reward also fuels his discipline and should fuel ours as well. The reward he pursued was an imperishable wreath, which in Philippians 3.8, Paul compares to the perishing rewards of the world. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. For this sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Gaining Christ, gaining all of God and all his promises to be saved from sin and death and hell, that was a reward that gave Paul his laser-like focus and fueled his discipline. The power for discipline does not come from wishing we were more self-controlled. It does not come from making new resolves or plans or schedules for discipline, though these help when your motivation is right. The power for discipline comes from the prize. The reward we believe will yield us the greatest pleasure. How many times have we made this, the, some resolve that just let it fall by the wayside and wondered why we're not more disciplined? I've done it more times than I care to admit. So what's our problem? We often chalk our discipline failures up to a lack of willpower. But willpower is really not our problem, at least not in the same way we usually think. When we end the quest for some unachieved goal, it's, not, it's actually our willpower that's overriding it. Once we experience the unpleasantness of self-denial, the inspiration evaporates and the goal no longer seems worth it, so we give up. What happened? We liked the imagination of the reward, but the reward itself wasn't real enough to fuel our discipline, at least our long-term discipline. We didn't really believe in it. It was a fantasy. And when the fantasy was dispelled, we realized we wanted another reward more, and our will followed. It wasn't a lack of willpower, it was a lack of reward power. By attending Pastor D's leadership class, the rewards of the Bible became much more real to me and fueled my desire to achieve them. The pleasures of having God bring memory verses to our mind just when we needed it to encourage ourselves or others. That's a pleasure that I want to have. But we have to meditate and memorize on that. The pleasures of seeing answered prayer because we gave up some of our time to gather in prayer with others. 
the pleasures of being used by God to impact others because we sought out ministry opportunities. Those are the pleasures that fuel long-term discipline. Paul said, I do not run aimlessly. Paul ran with his eyes on the prize, the prize he really wanted, the prize he believed would yield him the most happiness. That is the key to self-discipline we learned in the class, the real belief that the pleasures of the reward will be worth the denial of the lesser, lesser pleasures today. That's what nourishes the spiritual fruit of self-control in our lives. Wanting the rewards of the Spirit offers us more than the rewards of the sin or the world offer us. <clears throat> this is really good news to self-disciplined stumblers like us. If we're not pursuing the kingdom of God first, if the surpassing worth of knowing Christ isn't causing us to count all else as rubbish, the Spirit's remedy to our problem is not more white-knuckled, duty-motivated efforts to be more disciplined. Rather, the Spirit is inviting us into greater delight. He wants us to explore and examine the imperishable reward God longs to give us with all his heart and soul, knowing that the more we seek to see, the more he'll reveal and help us believe. And the more that happens, the more we'll view self-discipline not as a drudgery to be avoided, but as a means to the joy we really want. The great joy of hearing Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, at the judgment seat of Christ. Since joining Pastor D's leadership class, I have experienced more of the rewards that the Bible promises in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I have had greater faithfulness in practicing the basic disciplines of the Christian life. I have more motivation to grow in Christ and accountability to keep me on track. I am leading family devotions on a nightly basis, and my wife and I are praying each week together. We are more united and loving with each other. When we do make mistakes or have disagreements, we are much quicker to forgive each other. We have both grown a lot as Christians since taking the leadership class. If you want to learn more about God, his rewards, and be motivated to have greater self-control, not to mention the other fruits of the Spirit, I highly recommend taking Pastor D's leadership class. Thank you. I love you. My name is Melissa Groninger, and I dedicated my life to the Lord as a young girl while attending Marian Friends Church, a very small church in Marion, Oregon, not far from here. At that time, the pastors, Ron and Marlene Watson, had a profound impact on my life back then, and they still do to this day. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I am incredibly thankful for the strong foundation I was given as a child so many years ago. Since that time, I've attended church most of my young adult and adult life, falling into the category of lukewarm Christian. Revelations 3, 15 through 16, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Pastor D's recent sermon on being a lukewarm Christian hit very close to home to me, I'm ashamed to admit. Today I'm going to talk a lot about my journey, what led me up to the point of fully surrendering, uh, enrolling in D's leadership class, and ultimately working very hard this past year to completely change the trajectory of my life, 
Some of these changes have been pivots, while other changes have required complete overhauls. After graduating from high school, I joined the Navy, where I served for three tours uh, as a Russian linguist. After separating from the military, I moved back to Oregon, where I served for the past 17 years in public education, first as a teacher, then as an instructional mentor, and for the past six years as an administrator at the middle school and high school level. As a school administrator, I work exceptionally long hours. These past few years especially, the demands put on public administrators are greater than they ever been, have been before. The responsibilities and pressures on us are immense. To put it in military terms, never before have I felt more on the front lines than I do in public education today. A university professor in a teacher training program recently told me she feels as if she is putting teachers, um, sending them out into combat when she sends them out into their first uh, job in the classroom, and I would agree. Students are coming to us with ever-increasing needs. Conversations such as trauma, trauma-informed practices, and social-emotional learning have all but replaced conversations around classroom instruction, best practices, and student learning. The breakdown in the American family can immensely be felt in our schools and in our classrooms today. For the past few years, however, um, educators have been facing an even greater challenge in public education, and that is the worldly teaching that's being pushed down into our schools. This teaching hits on topics such as gender is fluid, identity is fluid, and even truth is fluid. Professional development around topics such as privilege and social justice um, dominate our professional learning, and it's taught very much from a worldly perspective. If you add on top of that all of the challenges that we face with COVID restrictions, um, comprehensive distance learning, limited in-person instruction, hybrid learning, um, these past couple of years for educators have been exceptionally challenging. It was in the midst of these challenges that I decided to enroll in Dee's leadership class and really work hard to, um, as I mentioned, completely change the trajectory of my life. I've attended church most of my young adult and adult life, and I would consider myself a highly educated woman, yet um, these past couple of years, sporadic church attendance and occasional Bible reading have been an anemic response to the spiritual battles I've been facing. While many people would say these past few months have been some of the most challenging months of their lives, I would say these past few months have been among the greatest months of my life, especially with the work I've done through this leadership class. I want you to listen to this next verse carefully. It's a very powerful verse. Ephesians 4, 14 through 15, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. Here are some conclusions I've come to during these past few months. When it comes to identity, we must have a fierce sense of who we are and what we stand for. If we do not, the world will assign us an identity, and it will not be one that aligns with God's purpose for our lives. My identity does not run horizontal to this world. It runs vertical to Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. When it comes to privilege, you have to pray for me through this next part. I agree that I am privileged, but not in the way that the world defines. My parents last year celebrated. I wish you would have sat in the back, Mom. 
they celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And um, I was born and raised in a Christian home where we put Christ at the head of our family. That is privilege. That is the greatest privilege we can be given as um, followers of Jesus. When it comes to truth, there is only one truth. Jesus is God. He emptied himself of all that he was. Coming to earth, born of a virgin, he lived a perfect life, not sinning, not even once. He died on the cross for your sins, for my sins, and the sins of all of mankind. He rose again, reigns in heaven, and he will return to earth one day. One discipline, and I appreciate you speaking about the disciplines, the one that I selected for my um, presentation that has had by far the greatest impact on my life is memorizing scripture. We all have the Bible verses that we've memorized as young children, but my learning and my memorization pretty much stopped there as an adult. Joshua 1, 8 through 9 Study this book of instruction continually, meditate on it day and night, day and night, day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed. This is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord is with you wherever you go. My ability to pull scripture immediately from my brain has been transformational in my ability to control my mind, my ability to be a critical consumer of all of the information that is coming my way from the media, from my professional development at work, and from my conversations with people who think very differently than I do, and my ability to engage in the spiritual battles that I face daily. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage battle according to the flesh, but the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, we are destroying arguments and all arrogance raised against the knowledge of God and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Here are some additional takeaways this past year that have been immensely powerful in my process of transformation. Anybody who knows me knows I'm very much a type A personality. I like my lists. I like checking things off of my list. But I've really shifted my thinking from time management to energy management. Time is a constant whereas my energy level fluctuates pretty dramatically. So I think about scheduling my life in terms of my energy, getting up very, very early in the morning, giving God my very best. Um, I'm a morning person, so dedicating my time to the basic disciplines when I'm at my best. That shift in mindset has been transformational for me, and it allows me to invest my energy in the basic disciplines, which will yield eternal results. Respond versus react in every situation, and especially during those situations when this worldly teaching is coming my way, I think, am I reacting or am I responding? In the past, I tended to react where I get upset. Um, I go and I talk about uh, my latest frustrations with anybody who will listen. Now, I intentionally choose to respond in a way that is thoughtful, extending honor, Honor is given, respect is earned, so extending honor to people who think very differently than I do, extending kindness to them, extending grace to them, that is what's going to move the dial in these conversations. Um, John Maxwell, a leadership expert, says one of the tools that he uses is to um, put things in his office that really trigger his, um, his thinking, and that's in terms of goals that he's setting or disciplines he's trying to implement in his life. One of the tools that I put in my office years ago that has been powerful, it's a target. And if you look at the bullseye, it is things that we have no control over, and then the next ring, things we can influence, and the outer ring, things we can control. And when things come my way, I think about mandatory mask wearing, social distancing, 
closing churches, closing schools, closing restaurants, all that has come our way, I asked myself, is this something I can control? And if I cannot, I will not invest my energy in worrying about that, talking about it. Instead, I invest my energy on things that I have influence over and things I have control over. I think about the work that we did for Jefferson School District in painting. Those actions will yield tremendous influence in people's lives. So think about what can we influence, what can we control. Mind versus brain. I've spent my whole life working on my brain, expanding my knowledge. Now I work very, very hard to invest as much time and energy into my mind. Um, Dr. Matt Bain preached a sermon last year. It was very, very powerful. Um, it was entitled, How to Lead When You Feel Lost. And I've gone back and listened to that sermon again and again. Um, he, when I heard that sermon, it was exactly what I needed to hear when I needed to hear it. He talked about the steps that we can take to really um, yield or really yield influence in our lives. Um, once again, um, previously I mentioned our identity, so he said we must have a fierce sense of who we are and what we stand for. That identity impacts our attitude and it impacts our mind, which then impacts our actions. Those actions will move the dial in these conversations that we're having today in our nation. And then going back to Dr. John Maxwell, the leadership expert, he said when he sets goals, he really focuses his energy to a single focus each year. He identifies a word that he wants to focus on. Some people would say that word might be health or finances. For me, that word is engage. If I were to sum up my learning this year, and to put it in military terms, I am no longer on the sidelines, I'm no longer in the rear, I am not on the defensive, but rather I am shifting to the offensive, not only being a follower of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, but a leader for Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Um, thank you to my family, to my church family, to Dee, um, Mike, Brandon, Jean, everybody in the church, the women in my leadership class, and who has added tremendous value to my life this year. Thank you. Okay, that's awesome. I get to follow that. Great. Thanks, Melissa. <laughs> um, so thanks, Dee, for letting us have the opportunity to speak. Um, I was also in Dee's women's leadership class. My name is Kathy Carley, my husband Justin, our three kids, and our soon-to-be daughter-in-law have been attending for just about a year. Um, we're thankful for the leadership and uh, the opportunity to have the class that you guys provide that for us. It's been fantastic. So um, when we made the decision uh, to commit as JBC as a home. I knew I wanted to get plugged in right away. Uh, and usually what I end up by plugging into is children's ministry. But the main issue with that this year was when we started in the June of last year, children's ministry was really not an option here because of COVID. So I was kind of a little floundering. What am I going to do? Where am I going to put myself? Uh, so then towards the fall, they began to talk about the leadership class. I was not here for these last year. I wish I would have heard what people did last year, but somehow we missed those. It would have been neat to hear. But So I had heard previously about Dee's leadership class and what it entailed, um, but I thought it was only for the men. So then in the fall, when they announced that it was for the women, I got excited. I thought, oh, wow, this is really interesting. So we have some friends here that have been attending for a while. So I run around, I ask them, you know, what does this entail? What's the commitment? What do I have to do? They shared everything with me. They laid it out. And I was like, 
yeah, no, that's not for me. <laughs> Way too much work. Um, but you know how God works. He's pretty funny. So all that week after he announced it, um, anytime I was in prayer, anytime I was having downtime, God was speaking to me. He kept putting it in my brain, putting it in my brain, and all of a sudden I was like, darn it, God, you just keep working on me at this. And I knew that it was something I was going to have to do. So uh, at that point, I decided I was going to commit myself, I was going to be all in, and I was going to go for it. And I had no idea how it was going to transform my life. And um, really, with the disciplines, it's just unbelievable. I'm super glad that I made the commitment. Um, with that, though, you know, once I made the commitment, I started thinking about all of the, the things that I had to do, all the excuses that I had, like, oh, wait, well, when I have this class comes up, I'm not going to be able to do that. When am I going to come? I think we all have so many excuses. I was like, well, I work full-time. I coach cheerleading. My husband coaches full-time. Um, you, know, you know, it's August or no, October to August. How am I going to commit to that every single day? And not only that, eight in the morning on Sunday. I mean, could there be a more inconvenient time? You know, apparently not. So... Uh, but you know what? I realized after going to those first few classes in the morning, I could not wait to go back again. 8 a.m. was nothing. I was actually getting up earlier because I wanted to study. I wanted to practice my Bible verses. I wanted to be prepared for the tests. So God then blessed me beyond measure. God, um, Dee always talks about how if you put something out there and you put yourself, God will provide the way. So we live so every day that we have to cross the Buena Vista Ferry to get to church. And so I went the first time and I met the ferry driver and we're pretty new to driving the ferry and he was new, but I explained to him, I said, so every Sunday morning, I'm going to be here at 7.30 to go to this leadership class I'm taking at my church. You know, if you don't mind, if you could be on this side of the ferry every morning, then I won't be late and I won't get in trouble from D. That would be really, really helpful. So the, the incredible thing, every Sunday I get there and he is there waiting for me. Um, and then actually one Sunday I was sick and I didn't make it. And the next Sunday he's like, where were you? I was waiting. I thought, wow, God, you're holding me accountable by the ferry driver. So thank you for that, Lord. And uh, I don't know if he's a Christian, but he and I have established a relationship. And I'm super excited to continue that relationship with him and maybe share a little bit about my faith and about Jefferson Baptist. And that's the thing about Dee's class as well, is it's showing me that God is constantly, constantly opening doors for us to be able to share our faith and be able to... Um, you know, just use his class in order to bring people to Christ, because I know that's what God is calling us all to do. Sorry, I'm way off my thing. Um, so I thought, too, with what Dee asked us to do was to come about our favorite lesson, but I thought, wow, I really missed out last year. I didn't really know what the class was about, so I thought, maybe I'll break it down for those of you that don't know what the class is about and are wondering, like, what really, really is it about? So the class is a multifaceted class. Each week we come, as he said, we, there's a lesson and we have to take a test, and there's uh, scripture memorization, we... Um, we have to log our Bible reading, we have to do the leadership book reading, podcasts, which Dee lays them all out for you. I mean, could not be easier. He says, here's what you need, here's what we're going to do. Um, you talk about greeting new people, and then any corporate prayer that you might do. Um, all the lessons are based on the seven basic disciplines of a Christian life, prayer, Bible reading, worship, gathering, giving, serving, and discipleship. 
And during these lessons, Dee breaks down the principles through scripture and with some amazing stories. You know, most of you know that he is gifted in sharing. The wisdom of God has given him in a fashion that is inspiring and motivating and a lot of times humorous. So it's very fun. Um, another one of my initial... Oh, wait, I was going to go back to the fairy story. I jumped ahead. Um, so anyway, all in all, the whole class itself is super organized. Uh, another aspect that he does is competition, which I'm very competitive. So that was really enticing right there. Anything with, you know, to compete. Um, I was absolutely determined that I was going to win, but then Melissa was in our class. So as you guys can imagine, who won? Melissa's amazing. She dominated all of us, but we all learned from each other. And just the friendships that we got to was something that I had never, never imagined. So, um, you know, I get to text Melissa all the time. She's so encouraging. It's just been outstanding and amazing, something I never imagined I'd get from the class. So now as the class has come to end, though, um, I had this incredible sense of what am I going to do with all this information? How am I going to implement it in my life? I want God to use me in the biggest way possible to glorify him and for other people to get to know him. So I realized... Um, the, what I really wanted to do with this is I wanted to become an influencer for Christ. I wanted to influence others. Um, so you all know Dee loves to reference the one story about you reap what you sow. I love the story. You know, you have one corn seed, you plant it, you get one corn plant. You don't get a carrot, you don't get a potato, you get the one corn plant. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. So how does that look in our everyday lives? What seeds am I personally planting? So I thought for a while um, on the seeds that I sow, and I decided to write them down and reflect on them and share them. So here's some of the seeds that we've talked about in the class and what I feel like I'm sowing out there. Giving, giving my time and my efforts. Ministry, mentoring young women, coaching. Um, love, what I pour into my family and my friends. Deference. Uh, he talks about letting other people go before us, even in the smallest ways. Like, you come to the grocery store. I, you know, I see, you know, someone's got three things. I want to let them go ahead of me. You know, that's a deference. That's something I'm giving. Um, helping others. I love to help those around me. But then I also have lying, even the little white lies, cheating, anger, bitterness. Those are also seeds that we tend to sow. Those are seeds that I sow. Some of them are good. Some of them are, the, are bad. Um, and I've learned that most of the seeds that, I've, that I sow are through words that I've spoken. In Ephesians 4.29, it says, Do not use foul or abusive language. Instead, let everything that you say be good and helpful to the, so that your words will be an encouragement to those around you. It doesn't say let some things or a few things, but he says let everything you say be good. I know throughout my life that most of my conflict has been from those words that I've spoken, and I want my words to be good and helpful. This is why, this is the only way that I'll be able to become the positive influence that I want. De-emphasized multiple times in our class the importance of being a positive person. This really struck me as a simple, yet the perfect tool I think I needed to be an influencer. Then I feel like that God wants me to be. The biggest takeaways I took from Dee's class in regards to being a positive person or a person of influence for Christ is Negative people do not influence God. Only positive people will influence people to Christ. God's goal is to make us like Christ. So in order to do this, he is going to walk us through trials. He is going to refine us. No whining, no complaining, no griping. If I feel myself headed in this direction, then I need to adjust my thoughts, meditating on Scripture. 
This is why that scripture memorization is so big for a Christian's life. We talked about it when things are coming in our life. What, where are we, what are we drawing from? What are we seeing? And it's those memory verses that just are there now. I can just pull them, and I've never experienced that. I didn't grow up a Christian. These are really the first memory verses I've ever really had. So it's been amazing to be able to use them. And then lastly, uh, no why me's. It's me because God is working on me. When I grumble and complain about things that are happening in my life, then I'm complaining against God. Then it, that is not easy for me. I currently, I'm in the middle of a battle right now, and my, my thought is that I want to gripe, I want to complain. But after attending Dee's class, I've been convicted that complaining about my complaining, and I'm continuing trying to take those things and lay it at Jesus' feet and just walk away because every time I go back and I kind of pick them up, but I just got to leave them there for God. Um, so I'm going to leave you with one last uh, memory verse with my favorite verse that we did in the class. It was Ephesians 4, 30, 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving another, one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So again, I just, as we're ending doing these leadership talks, I want to encourage anyone, any women out there, if you're even remotely thinking about doing it, I really encourage you to do it. We all have excuses. We all have reasons why we shouldn't, but I'm telling you, he will bless you immensely if you do. Uh, we want to make it a priority. Take the opportunity to learn the basic disciplines for God. This is what God is calling us to do, is to use these disciplines to encourage others for Christ. Thank you. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. We love you so much for all that you've done for us. Thank you for our gift of salvation. Thank you that we get a new body, a glorified body. And uh, in the meantime, between now and when we step into heaven, we want to serve you well, glorify you, influence as many people as possible. And so we give you our life this morning, present ourselves to you as a living sacrifice, asking you to use us, change us, do whatever it would take for us to be golden vessels, sanctified, useful to you, prepared for every good work. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.